Hey, this is Russ Baton with uh, Roleplay Bumper Radio, but I'm here on Legends of Tabletop, <laughs> along with uh, my co-host, John. Hey, everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Hey, everybody. This is episode 92. Excuse me while I throw my cat because he's biting me. Um, I'm pleased and and excited to have uh, Ross on with us tonight. I've been a a listener to the uh, role-playing public radio podcast for damn near 10 years. Can you imagine it's been that long already, Ross? Uh, yeah, no, I was actually kind of having an existential crisis over that because it's our 10th year doing the podcast and we're going to be doing it at the 50th Gen Con. Uh, we're going to be at the 50th Gen Con this year. So I'm like, okay. And we were just scheduling hotels and all that junk, uh, recently. So I'm like, oh my God, I've been doing this for 10 years. (laughs) Uh, Jesus. Yeah. That's basically, wow. Um, yeah, so I'm. Yeah, I, I don't want to say it. It's, how did it? How did time get by me? How, how did this? How did I get to this state? Anyways, so yeah, yeah happy to be here. I, I I was looking doing all my research for tonight, and I'm like, oh my god, has it really been that long? Because I I picked you guys up in like about 2008, 2009, and I guess you guys got started about 2007. What what was the genesis behind it? Uh, it actually was. Uh, Gen, it was Gen Con. I mean, before that, uh, we actually RPPR proto RPPR had had actually existed like two up to two years before two thousand five, uh, because me and my friends we got together and we made uh, radio play versions of the AB three uh, rants uh, that were on RPG.net, and these were little stories that were told in script form, and they're 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 on the earliest things on RPPR, um, and they're funny little stories about this guy's experiences gaming you know playing riffs at a denny's and playing call of cthulhu <laughs> with really creepy people um and we and the, these were sporadic things and this was even before podcasting was really a thing uh podcasting as a term it only existed as proof of concept really in 2005 um but 2000 so we did that on and off between 2005 and 2007 but 2007 uh we went to gen con uh, tom and i went to gen con for the first time and I was just, oh, my God, this is amazing. And we're like, hey, we should do an episode to talk about this. We should do a podcast to talk about this. Because by 2007, there was already Fear the Boot uh, and a couple other uh, RPG podcasts out there. And so we kind of, you know, got some, I got some mics and figured out how to do it. And we, we kind of went from there. And so we just kept doing it because, you know, people said they liked our stuff and there weren't. Uh, and yeah, so I just kept it up, uh, throughout grad school and, um, kind of went from there and like the, the actual plays were recorded because, um, I always wanted to record our games to commemorate them because ever since the first time I ran a master of Nyarlathotep, I remember one scene in particular where Tom, I uh, he got into a panic where he f- confronted a cultist in London during the day in this tea shop. And Tom realized he was a cultist and just beat him to death with a cane. <laughs> but this is a tea shop that was open for business. And he, you know, another customer walked in. I'm just like, Tom, what are you going to do? And he panicked and started killing civilians. Uh, <laughs> and 
I love that moment so much. I was like, ah, oh, I wish I, I wish this, I, I could record this. I wish this was saved somehow. And then I'd seen other actual play sort of forum through RPG MP3.com. I'm like, Hey, I could do that. And we kind of, uh, I started figuring out how to do that. And, you know, after trial and error, uh, you know, I got the first, the zoom H one and kind of went from there. Um, so that's, that's kind of how the main podcast and the actual plays got started. So, uh, yeah. Cool. I, I think I just remember hearing you guys tell this story. I'm woefully behind on my podcasting, but uh, I think on one of the regular episodes, you guys were telling that story, you know, within the last few months anyway, because it sounds very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've told the story several times, um, but yeah, it's, 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 yeah, I keep telling that story because it's so burned in my memory because it was just like, it, everyone was on the edge of their seat at first everyone was yelling you know backseat playing for tom like tom, do this no do this do this i was like Cameron, shut up tom what are you doing and i could just see the panic in his eyes and i'll never forget that and so um i realized i had to record these games um and it kind of went on for and people really had a good reaction also in 2008 uh fourth ed D came out and so i wanted to like cash in on that by doing one of the first campaigns for fourth ed D and that became the new world campaign which mm-hmm. is to this still is our longest running campaign uh 46 episodes and uh it was really great and so people really enjoyed it and um we kind of went from there um so but yeah that that once we started doing the campaign and once we people are like oh my god this is the only fourth ed podcast i could find for that again 2008 there, there are many more yeah. since then <laughs> So, um, yeah, so those are kind of the origin stories for it is it just started happening and we kind of, uh, went on from there. Um, (laughs) anyways, yeah. Yeah, no, my my co-host who who just logged in, I see him in Google Docs now, so I'm assuming he's going to jump in here in a minute. Uh, they used to <laughs> videotape their uh, their sessions, so he's got boxes of VHS tapes of of old oh, wow and stuff VHS tapes. Yeah. Wow, awesome. <laughs> Um, that actually is pretty cool that you could, yeah, especially a retro thing like that. Cause then you could, um, commemorate, um, cause you like, that would be interesting just as an artifact of the times, uh, as well. So, um, but anyway, yeah, enough about that. Um, uh, <laughs> let's talk about me. <laughs> yeah. Hey Vince, what's going on? Hey, what's up? How's everybody? Doing uh, good? doing good. Doing well. Cool. I, I just told the story of, of you guys uh, videotaping your old uh, D&D sessions. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I, have to, I have to transfer them from VHS to uh, some digital format. Yeah. Uh, there's a... God, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. VHS era gaming. That, that, that's, that's rare. That, that, that would be a treat to see. So anyway. Um, I'll, uh, I'll uh, make sure I get... Uh, Get a few up before uh, for Necronomicon. Get them live. There you oh, go. Were they D and D or did you actually play old? Are these old Call of Cthulhu games? Oh no, this is this is first and second edition Dungeons and Dragons from ah. early nineteen nineties. Oh, okay, yeah, when the era of Thacko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I finally, remember Thacko. Yeah, uh, whack, Thacko is wacko. Um, yeah. <laughs> it can be. It can't. Yeah, no. I I was in the very tail end of that era, and it was still pretty. Wow. Uh, third Ed was a was an improvement as much as Third Ed is kind of kind of. Ooh. Lots of fiddly bits there. <laughs> yeah, Third Ed's kind of showing its age now too. Um, 
But anyway, uh, so yeah. Um, so do you have like a regular full-time gig that you're doing or you're <laughs> all in between freelancing and podcasting and, and all the other um, stuff? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I have a variety of sort of jobs. Yeah, uh, freelance writing for RPGs, obviously with the Patreon, RPPR is, uh, is a lot of work and freelance graphic design. Um, so, you know, yeah, there's a lot of jobs. I don't really talk about freelance jobs. I talk about like scanning old books and converting them to eBooks and (laughs) really exciting things like that. Uh, but more, more fortunately in the last few years, uh, thanks to the Patreon and crowdfunding and, uh, base raiders, I've been able to focus, I've been able to devote more and more time, uh, to game design and podcasting, um, because of, it's yeah, I'm earning enough to live with it uh, now. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll all aspire to such uh, lofty heights. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's the yeah, the the great the great thing about self being self employed is you can set your own hours. The bad part is well, uh, lack of security, the lack of you know, well, a lot. <laughs> let, let's focus on the good side. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you guys run like tons and tons of games. How, how many games do you guys normally play in a week? Um, anywhere between one and three usually. Uh, now RPPR is really lucky that it's. I mean, RPPR is not a one man show. It's it's always been about the fact that I've had a really a really great uh, group of friends uh, who have helped have joined in uh, to record podcasts. You know, obviously Tom, uh, the original co host, and then uh, Caleb and Aaron and Bill, and just on and on and on um that's uh and so i run usually one game a week or caleb runs one game a week and then um bill for the last year bill's been running the game as well and occasionally we do a one shot on saturday so yeah one to three games a week uh might be yeah that that's that's the average at least usually at least one game a week unless uh there is a holiday or something and people schedule there are weeks that we don't play at all because of scheduling reasons uh a lot of my uh a lot of the players are involved in education uh and social work and then also holidays so but yeah the average is one to three uh games a week uh this week it's been base raiders um and friday i'll be playing 13th age uh, Bill's running 13th Age, and then Saturday, perhaps, Gen Lab Alpha, a companion game to Mutant Year Zero, uh, <laughs> put up by Mophidius Entertainment, which is a Swedish role-playing game uh, translated into English, uh, post-apocalyptic. Um, kind of, uh, Gen Lab Alpha is kind of uh, island of Dr. Moreau, but, you know, plus Fallout. So, cool. It's been pretty fun, um, but that depends on whether Tom can recover from his hacking cough. Uh, <laughs> a lot of us have had health issues recently for weird reasons. Um, but yeah, so yeah, one to three games. Cool. Um, how, so do you guys run a lot of um, pre-generated scenarios, or do you do a lot of sandbox type stuff? And and if more sandboxy type stuff, how hard is it to come up with? so many different you know adventure seeds you know for all these different games that you're playing um we do a lot of it depends one shots we do are tend to be more like the pickup games like if somebody schedules changes and you know one person can't make it but enough enough other players it's like okay we won't do our usual campaign we'll just do a one shot and those you almost always have pre-gener we we make characters and that's why i prefer systems with easy character generation systems um like lately i've been i've run a lot of delta green 
because Delta Green has a lot of great pregens you can just print out and run with. And even if you don't want to use that, it's easy to make a character. If you know the system, you can do it in like 15 minutes. Um, so that's, uh, but for campaigns, um, it kind of varies a little bit by genre, you know, uh, obviously when I run like horror investigations, like, uh, when I did Knights Black Agents, it was very much like build the conspiracy, conspiracy, the conspiracy, as they say, mm-hmm. uh, and let the players, you know, pr- present plot hooks and let the players choose which ones they want to go to. But you have to have, there's a lot of planning in advance because you have to sort of figure out how all that works how the entire mystery works out before you can present any of it. Right. Um, but with like with base raiders, I kind of do the more sandbox thing where like, all right, what kind of, what do you guys want to tackle? What kind of issues do you want to tackle? And then I kind of sketch out some ideas and then kind of react to see how the players do. I improvise a lot uh, in my games. Um, I don't know if that's immediately apparent in my APs, but I tend to make up stuff on the fly and see how players react to it. Uh, uh, a lot of my interest in gaming is seeing what kind of choices players make uh, when given certain, you know, choices or you know, decisions. Uh, do you do this or do you do this? Or how do you react to this? How will you overcome this? Um, and so, I leave some ideas sort of blank, and I just kind of let myself go. I was like, oh, this this is a good idea. I'll, I'll throw that in immediately. Um, so sandbox is, yeah, it, it's more of thinking of the ecology of the, of the setting that makes sense. Like if this is sort of who, what all the major elements are and they would react to this, if the players do this, then these people will react like this and these will react like this and then just kind of <coughs> keep it all straight in your head. So, right. um, yeah. Okay. Very, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, it's interesting you bring that up because one of my questions is one of the hallmarks of a, of a Ross Payton game is the moral choices that PCs have to make <laughs> during those games, whether it's Eclipse Phase or Call of Cthulhu or whatever. Yeah. Uh, was that your... What, when did that aesthetic come about? Like, has that always been sort of uh, a guiding principle in your in your design or your, your storytelling? Or is that something that sort of developed, you know, as you've gained longer and longer? Um. I think I've always I've I've always been interested in it because I mean role playing games I mean in terms of they're 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 obviously about choices about decision making about like how uh you know then that's what stories are about you know like how how people react to certain elements how people how people make decisions how make people make choices um and the the in terms of choices you either have tactical ones like or procedural ones really like how do you solve a problem on a technical level you know and then but then there are moral choices like what are your values how do you how what are you willing to defend your values with and i think part of it is also because i've also been really interested in delta green uh for as long as i can remember and that's that that's sort of the core ethos of delta green which is you know what are you willing to sacrifice to protect humanity even though it's you know, you know that humanity's doomed, but how long are you going to prolong the, you know, delay the inevitable? Uh, and I found that very, very interesting, very meaningful. Um, I just, in terms of fiction, I'm always interested in, um, like one of my favorite comic books is Planetary, um, because which is a deconstruction of superhero genre tropes. And it's about how people would react if they had superpowers in a more, you know, realistic way without being sort of ridiculous in a, in a sort of Frank Miller grimdark manner. Um, 
there are people who just profiteer from it. And then there are people who believe that the science and power should be shared. And, and, and it's a struggle between those, those two beliefs. Um, and I found, yeah, I just find it more interesting. I find it more like everything else seems kind of trivial if, if, compared to, to uh, moral dilemmas. I mean, like if you want drama, you kind of have to present that to a certain degree. Um, so yeah, that, that for me, it's been presenting, making interesting stories and making, trying to get players to engage with it. Um, because it, the only other ways to prevent kind of difficulty in a role-playing game is either to make absurdly detailed and complex tactical challenges. And my players don't really like c done tactical, super in-depth combat. If they want to play XCOM, they'll play XCOM, you know, right. not, not my board game or not, not my RPG. Um, and so, yeah. But XCOM can't do moral dilemmas, at least not in an interesting way. Sure. So. Well, speaking of moral dilemma, do uh, you want to talk a little bit, a little bit about the Aaron factor? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's another reason why I like running games so much and playing with Aaron is because I genuinely don't know how he will react to certain things. Like, and there's always, um, yeah, for those who aren't familiar, the Aaron factor is basically. Um, Aaron in our group has a tendency to make choices that you would never like, unless you knew him well, you would never expect. Um, and he, he kind of, uh, it's interesting to see at what point he has certain, I mean, obviously he, he has every player has preferences. Let's let, let begin with that. Everyone, you know, likes playing certain types of characters or they like doing certain play styles. You know, uh, Tom likes playing the heavy. He likes playing the big, tough badass um you know caleb often chooses you know either chooses depressive characters you know who have or rather melancholy um and aaron chooses characters that are very technically adept and are often very very like paladin-esque you know very lawful good kind of characters uh but he will once he gets his mind to make a make a thing make a decision he will just do it you know, and nothing will dissuade him. Um, you know, if it that's in, in the most infamous example, of course, is Shanghai, where the premise of the game was set in the 19th century and the players were Shanghai. They were kidnapped and put on board a boat. And th he was told this before the game started. But he spent the first hour of real time in, you know, of the game, basically saying, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to work. Well, they're not going to feed you. Uh, well, I'll... I'll I don't want to starve to death, but I'm not going to accept the premise of the game. So I'm going to do this and this and then this. And it ended him trying to kill a shark with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just never would have expected that. Uh, yeah. I mean, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I can't really explain the Aaron factor. I, I think only Aaron can explain the Aaron factor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, he just, once he makes his mind up, he is just like, that's it. That's going to be it. And I never know exactly when he's going to twinge on like, that's my choice. I'm going to run off into the dark unarmed and uh, uh, try and charge a sniper, or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I'm like, all right, that's, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, so I, I can't, I, but I can't explain it beyond that. It's just, it's just him. It's just his unique nature. Well, it, it certainly gives the podcast a very unique flair when, when he's yeah. in a game because you never know when that moment's going to hit. Like, I, I just <laughs> finished listening to Contingency the other day, and he was like, fuck it, I'm out. I go home and I work on my marriage. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's happening? <laughs> 
yeah, no, he um it's yeah, I I I never know exactly when it's going to uh trigger and I'm just like uh okay. That that's fine. Um <laughs> So but it, yeah, I mean, he's been it's podcasting gold as far as I'm concerned. I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy with it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of Aaron would be Caleb then. Um, just like super into it. The, the thing with Caleb yeah. is though, if he gets bored, he's like, all right, I, I, I shoot something. I'm, I do this thing. We, we got to get moving. Come on, let's, let's do something. That is true. Uh, Caleb does. It, it's, it is kind of uh, difficult at times because he often will try and do something without telling me what he's planning to do. He just, you know, um, and occasionally Caleb will make assumptions about the game that I'm not, that are not true. So I'm not like, Oh, well, th- if I do this, then this will happen. It's like, well, no, I said, this is going to happen that you, you made an incorrect assumption. So sometimes it's challenging, but he's always engaged with the game and he's always, and he also plays kind of melancholy characters. So it's, it's very um, fun to play with him. And, um, but he always kind of gives games a certain, like, he also doesn't like uh, certain games that are like more relaxing or, or sort of like, hey, let's like I I I I don't know if I could play Rocky and Bullwinkle with him, uh, <laughs> for example, but right. uh, he or Atomic Robo uh, because those are pretty optimistic uh, games. But um, he, yeah, no, he he's a, he's very much a planner. He's very much a meticulous kind of. Uh, strategic thinker yeah it's it's been fascinating playing with him as well so yeah and and he's a brand new player like his his introduction to role playing was was with you guys as a group right so how satisfying is that to have someone come in with no idea and then well, come in and be so super engaged yeah um it wasn't like super I mean, it was 2011. Oh my God. Uh, when we did the haunting and it was, uh, the haunting was kind of like a nightmare. Cause we were, it was Aaron's first game running this GM and we were all just like being assholes to him or sorry, jerks to him. Um, and Caleb would had, did not know us very well from that. And he was just thrown into this pit and he kept with us. Uh, he tried more games with us afterwards and it worked out better for him. Um, but yeah, it's been very, very uh, satisfying to see him uh, embrace the game and embrace the hobby and like start writing for it and like create, you know, uh, like Red Markets, which is an amazing game. Um, and yeah, no, I'm, 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 it's been very, very uh, gratifying to have someone like grow out of uh, that. And uh, I've always tried to help anyone on the cast if they wanted to do a project or do something. Um, and Caleb's the first one to like super embrace that. Um, and so, yeah, that's been great. <laughs> no, it's, it's trying to get people to do anything. It's like herding cats. So I, yeah, no feel joke. your pain. <laughs> no joke. Um, I mean, not every, I mean, it's not just Caleb, like Bill's doing really well as a GM, um, you know, in Armitage files. And so is Dan. Dan's had more challenges too for his Dresden files campaign because, uh, he's had more players and more breaks between games and he's been managing more plot lines. Um, but yeah, so, uh, it would be, and you know, not everyone like Caleb was a, is a natural writer anyway. He, he, he's just always wanted to write. So it was right. very easy to prod him into writing stuff. So, 
And, and you guys uh, sort of chronicled uh, his experience through uh, Red Markets with uh, Game Design Workshop, another mm-hmm. another uh, not a separate podcast, but uh, another aspect of the regular podcast, kind of going through his whole uh, epic sequence in, in design all the way up through and then after, you know, hugely successful Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, that was his idea, uh, by the way, to do Game Designers Workshop, uh, and I'm glad he did. Um, but yeah, he, he that, that was his idea, and uh, it's yeah, it's learning, making mistakes in real time. I think is the tagline, um, so we can you know other people can learn from uh, our mistakes in game design. So uh, that's been yeah, been really good. Um, yeah, I've always wondered about the RPO broadcast because I kind of just throw everything vaguely podcasty onto it you know so there's interviews panels and games and workshop then normal episodes and i and i always wonder if that's a good mix or uh like should i ha- should i split the feed up so i have separate feeds for separate categories or i don't know but i'm glad caleb uh got me to start recording those game designer workshops because those have been fun and very informative very interesting very informative i mean i'm i'm not going to design a role-playing game myself but to you know to kind of hear you guys go through the process and the considerations and you know Mm -hmm. some of the stuff with kickstarter and things like that it's a very informative and and interesting process to kind of be a part of over here you know yeah hear you guys go through it yeah yeah there's a lot of like a lot of game design is really like undocumented i mean like yeah, every movie, every even the terrible like directive video B movies that get like director's commentary and behind the scenes featurettes and like articles written about them. And there's not nearly as much documentation of like the game design process. And so, um, you know, a lot of these games are made by one person or a few people working away in anonym- anonymity, basically, and nobody knows why they make the decisions they make for their games. And uh i'm kind of glad to you know document at least the process of one game you know uh or a couple of games uh that we make so people can get yeah better idea of what it's like guess what it's a lot of work and a lot of frustration <laughs> and for sure just, and anxiety so yeah woo, be a game designer uh <laughs> it's like a public service you're doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> mothers don't let your kids grow up to be game designers don't uh, here's what here here's what not to do yeah, that's that's the pretty that's literally the premise of game design. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's that's pretty cool that you're doing that. Well, um, advice you would give first time GMs people coming to the, the game master table? Um, for first time GMs, um, try and play a game first, obviously, to get a sense of what it's like. Uh, mm-hmm. but that's not necessary. Uh, the first thing I would do is try and pick the game that's going to work best for your group. And that's not D and D I'll just say it. I don't think any edition of D and D is no, I don't, I mean, if fifth, first through fifth, I don't think any edition of D and D is best as a, as a starting RPG um, because they're complex games. I mean, they're, they, they're the size of college textbooks. Like they're pretty, uh, they're pretty big. Maybe, <laughs> um, so I would I would look I mean and there's a lot of really good games now that have really streamlined systems, good writing, and are working. So I I would look it through a lot of games, a couple of read a couple of RPGs um, before you run anything, if you can. Um, 
or at least read the game that you are running, even if it is D&D. I know I said don't do D&D, but a lot of people are just going to get D&D anyway. Uh, so read the entire book first. Try to try to read the entire book first. Um, and so you have so you because you're basically going to have to teach the rules to the players. So it's about teaching players. So you have to know the rules in order to teach each other people. So, you know, like how does initiative work? How does combat work? Try and try. Don't stop the game to learn the rules, you know. Um, now it's obviously if you, you don't have to memorize them perfectly, it's okay to look up stuff, but try to have some basic idea of how the rules work. Um, the, 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 so after you learn the rules of whatever game you're choosing, um, try to talk to your players before the game and find out what they want to do in the game. Uh, that's, that's like, do they want to fight monsters? Do they want to have a great story? Do they want to like result do they have a really cool idea for a character that they want to resolve uh you know like oh mike you know is it you know a frank miller my parents were killed by ninjas and i'm an orphan and i am you know uh black you know, i am blood trench coat the angry mcangster uh last of the angst clan um or whatever and you know find out what they want to do whatever it is and mm -hmm. try and include all of that you know some players just kind of want to hang out some players want to kill shit some players want to tell stories and some players want to win you know they, they they think it's a competitive game yeah. um so have some sort of talk before you play before the game and then when you're running the game listen to the players and find out kind of figure out what they want and make the game a conversation. Like it's it's about collaboration. You're not telling your story to them. You're making a story with the players. So you get yeah, to tell right. some parts, but the players get input as well. So if the players um like, all right, you're at an end, the old man gives you a treasure map, and be like, Well, we burn the map and we go this way. <laughs> oh, well, all right. Well, guess what? There's a dungeon along the way. No, that's clearly the dungeon the treasure map was going to go to. Okay, fine. There's what uh, What do you want to do? Well, we heard that there was a tournament. We want to go fight in it. Okay, all right, that's fine. And then those orcs that you started out for the dungeon can turn out to be, um, you know, martial artists, you know, warriors or whatever uh, for the tournament. And so it's a conversation. Of course, obviously talk to the players so you don't get totally blindsided all the time but like let them contribute and then let the dice have a say you know uh let roll out in the opens and if the players roll well then they do well if they if they take a lot of risks and they roll poorly well then you know have that be borne out um it's a three-way conversation between the players the dice and the gm uh and i totally stole that from greg Solzy. uh but greg Solzy used the game i ran for him as an example of that uh, so I get to use that. Uh, I can I can claim that quote. Uh, that's how that works. Um, it was the well for sacrifice. This is another Aaron game, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, where he Makes killed sense. two player characters the exact same way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna crawl in in the, I'm gonna crawl in this tunnel and go in the other cave. Well, all right, roll, roll, roll. He's dead. All right, you. Oh, Tom's sick. Uh, you can take over his character. All right, I'm gonna go in that hole this time with a Tommy gun. <laughs> And I'll be fine. Like, all right, roll, roll, roll. He, guess what? The giant vampire baits killed your character again. So uh, he just thought, ah, oh, if I'd rolled better. So, anyways, I hope that answers the question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, but, yeah. No, I was going to say so, in running your own podcast, how mm -hmm. has that changed the way that you approach GMing and/or playing, or, or has it at all? 
Um, and we did we, we recently did an episode talking about um, how recording um, a podcast has changed how we GM. Uh, let me see, pull up the episode number. Um, but kind of in general, um, it's let's see here, Murphy's campaign concept. That's not right. Um, it, it, for me, I, I'm so used to it now that I literally don't even think about it. Sure. Uh, it it's just it's just what it is. Um, now for other players, uh, yeah, playing for an audience episode one thirty six. Um, now I have noticed a lot of other players, uh, other members of the Aubrey beer cast have told me how they've kind of like, there was a bunch of anxiety about recording it and they kind of got used to it over time. Uh, now we've been really lucky that we have a great audience that is very, you know, nice. We haven't had much, you know, there have been sort of spats or whatever, or, critical comments and critiques, which is fine, of course, but we haven't had like any, any major problems with trolls or any people like that. Um, so it's, it's been really positive on our end. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, for recording a pie, a game for posterity, you know, obviously get everyone's permission first. Um, if they're on the fence to say we can record it and if you don't want us to play it or post it later on, you can just let me know. And obviously stick to your word on that. I've I have had games that I've recorded that I can't post because one player said, No, I don't want you to post that. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Um, so that has happened in the past. Um but in terms of like me and my, my GMing style, I, I do admit there are have been times where I have run games because I think it'll give me better search engine results. <laughs> um that's why I did a Five Nights at Freddy's game. For example, um, the Slenderman games I just did because I wanted to do Slenderman games because that was a thing back, you know, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't. Um, yeah, I'm so used to it now. It's just just how I GM, even if I'm not. I, I don't think I have GM GM'd a game without recording it. <laughs> um, ever? I don't know. I, I mean, not, not not. I mean, not for for years and years. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of games that I record that I never post because they're like at Gen Con and they're super noisy. And but I record them anyway because meh, better. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, you never know exactly. So yeah, um, so, yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know how I would be gaming differently if I didn't record it. Probably very differently. I think it's made me very uh, a lot more critical about my own gaming. So probably has probably improved my gaming quite a bit because I'm now much more self self aware of my my habits and my um, you know, g- reflexes and my instincts as a GM. So I'm like, oh, I need to, you know, change things up or I need to do things differently or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's made me more self-aware as a GM. So, yeah. Okay. I, I find that too, as, as we play games to try to, you know, keep in mind that people are listening. So to be, you know, more descriptive and kind of, you know, mm-hmm. be more immersive in, you know, actions that characters are taking and things like that is, yeah. you know, help to paint that word picture. I have started. I be, yeah. I have noticed that I have not done like as many games with tactical combat and grids as uh, probably I did before. I mean, part of that was because I've moved away from D20 games um, in general. Uh, I, I mean, I'm playing 13th age, so I haven't totally moved away from them, but um, I certainly, when I do combat, I, I'd make it very, very loose and open and kind of fluid as opposed to like, you are here, here, he, he you know, you can move this many squares or this many inches or whatever. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that, that has helped. I mean, there's just so many things to keep track of as a demon. I, I, I still focus on the plot and like how 
trying to keep up the you know the the sort of internal logic of the game in my head that I often forget stuff like after a game like oh I should have done this I should have mentioned this I should have <laughs> I should I should have should have should I'm very very critical at times about that so yeah well I think Caleb picks you up on that a little bit because you'll you know you'll call for a roll and it'll be like wait what why am I rolling this yeah. when I just said I was doing X Y Z yeah. Uh, there is that too. And Caleb also as a GM, I know he, 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 he preps a lot more, uh, than I do a lot of times. He like, I, I do not flow chart as much as he does. <laughs> uh, that, that is more of a Caleb thing. Um, so yeah, it, it does kind of vary, um, based on the type of game. Um, so yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, so with, with all the games that you're recording and, and, you know, some obviously not, not releasing, how big is the backlog now? I know at one point, you know, you guys would joke around that you could be dead for, you know, 10 years and the podcast would still be going. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know. I know the, I believe the record between posting recording and posting a game is two years. Um, Cause that's the horrible lonely house. Uh, this was a Call of Cthulhu one shot. I know I recorded in 2009. I posted in 2011. Um, the campaigns are probably six months to a year back up. Um, wow. Dresden. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably six months to a year for most things. Uh, the Delta green one shots are being posted a lot more. They're not nearly as backlogged because I've been wanting to get all the published DG scenarios out. Um, all the new ones, you know, like star chamber, which is coming up and, observer effect and last things last uh which have all been recent um but for the most so sometimes i'll bump things out but a lot of times i will just like I, we record so many games i just go through the 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 recorded files that happens like i, I listen it's like oh yeah we did this six months ago i'll post that um so like yeah the campaign's like um base raiders is about six or seven months back we started it last year and we just now posted the first episode of it so <laughs> Uh, it was summer 2016, I believe. Um, so yeah, I could look it up. Let me see exactly when Base Raiders uh, Gate Nine was recorded. Um, so yeah, anyways, uh, that'll take a second to figure out. But uh, so yeah, there's there's quite a backlog, and there's a lot of games that I have that I have not been posted. That's why we do like the B sides and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes we do one shots and they're like, eh, you know. Um, yeah, the, it's kind of weird that the the podcast has become like the central social thing for uh, uh, the, my group of friends to do, uh, and I'm extremely lucky that we have that. But like, yeah, uh, right. it, it's just it's just what we do. Um, well, Jesse from the Dragon Fister, same thing. I mean, you know, all, they're all friends. They all live, you know, probably within a half an hour, hour of each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, they said, you know, for the most part, if it wasn't for the fact that we were sitting at the table rolling dice, we probably wouldn't hang out otherwise because everybody's busy with stuff. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, um, it's become a very fun thing for uh, my, <laughs> my friends. It's not just like they, they do it because they generally enjoy it, not because it's, you know, uh, help Ross do his podcast thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I just looked it up. We recorded um, episode one of Base Raiders uh, Gate 9 on June 13th, 2016. Uh, so quite quite a uh so uh what is so between that and february so eight months difference uh seven and a half months yeah slight backlog so i I think i have two games in the in the in the backlog right now (laughs) yeah i i do not yeah in terms of number of games i have no idea 
Uh, I, I buy memory car- cards in bulk now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So how hard is it to, uh, to get game scheduled? And, and you guys are, are lucky because you have a pretty large group and you have, yeah. you know, it's, I don't want to say interchangeable, like it doesn't matter, but you know, you have a lot of players that, that come yeah. and go and, you know, certain players play in certain campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, how hard is it to get people together? I mean, you guys play, you know, one or three games a week. Is it like, mm-hmm. Oh, like can't do Tuesday, but I can do Friday. And this person can't do Friday. And it, you know, it turns into like a whole, a whole yeah. thing. Well, usually what happens is, well, like, uh, uh, because we're so many of our uh, players are involved in academics, uh, education, we're sort of tied to the school year. And so at the beginning of a semester, uh, everyone figures out what their work schedule will be like uh, and work and or school schedule. Um, and so once we beat it, we figure out the schedule, we, we kind of set a weekly thing. We'll play Tuesdays at six o'clock or Tuesdays at six o'clock for this game and Friday, seven o'clock for this game. And then maybe Saturdays we can do something if, uh, if people are available for that. And, uh, and then basically the entire semester, everyone just follows that. And, uh, then we, we try and use social media to like, Oh no, I can't make it this week. Okay. We'll do this as a, a another thing. Um, as a makeup game. So, but then once the semester ends and school and, you know, uh, every, every sort of change where there's always a couple of weeks of like, uh, what's going on this week? I don't know what's going on. Uh, there have been a lot of screw ups. There have been a lot of like mis miscommunications and stuff like that, where people don't catch certain messages and stuff like that. And be, and so we've had no show games or, uh, too many people show up for a game or, uh, especially when we get into one shots, you know, not campaigns. Um, so it, but mostly we've, we set a weekly schedule and stick to it. Uh, and that's by and large been pretty successful. Um, it obviously, uh, to the point where we can have multiple, you know, long campaigns and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. how much time do you spend in editing, um, uh, all the podcasts and stuff? Uh, not much, to be honest. I kind of like RPPR. My, my my sort of philosophy for podcasting has been very much making it as sustainable as possible. By that I mean, not like I started out doing those radio play things, which are like ten to fifteen minutes long, and they had sound effects and music and six voice actors, and those would take like six hours to edit, and that would get like oh, you know, you would get like one or two comments. You like, oh, that's that's nice, that's funny. Well, <laughs> And I'm like, well, fuck, you know, that, that's great. <laughs> well, that was worth all that effort. And so I kind of designed, I set up RPPR to be not edit proof, but edit with a, as a minimalist philosophy. So like, um, actually that new podcast I'm doing with Caleb and Spencer, uh, the mix six actually takes a lot more editing because there's a lot more music cues in it. Um, so RPPR as an episode will take like maybe an hour to edit. Um, and then <laughs> maybe another 30 minutes to an hour to edit the show notes together. And the APs I've I lart, like I use, a I record as a wave file on the zoom H2N. And then I use a, an app called Levelator, which balances the levels out. And usually that's all I need to do. I'm really lucky that I live in a quiet neighborhood, so I don't have to worry too much about background noise. And then, um, I don't have to do, I don't edit the APs. Like I hardly ever edit APs um, because uh, if there's going to be a big distraction or people are going to be, I just stop the recording and start it again. 
um, if there's going to be some sort of big noise or like, oh, the pizza guy's here or whatever. You know, I just right. stopped the recording. Um, and we've, I've gotten in my GMing style, GMing style, I just like, I just sit down and I run the game for two to four hours straight. And, um, you know, uh, that, that's kind of it. Like I, I try not to, I try to set it up so I don't have to do too much editing. Cause if I get too much editing, if I have to do too much editing, I get burned out. Like this episode of RPPR recorded recently is going to be more editing than I've done in a while. Cause Tom had a hacking cough and I had a cough. Yeah. So I had to make little notes, like edit this cough out. Yeah. This time code and this time code and this time. And so that's going to be kind of annoying. Cause I have to do a lot more work than I'm used to doing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my biggest advice for podcasters. Set up your podcast. So you don't have to do a lot of work to get it online. Like <laughs> be as lazy as possible. Uh, while having maintaining some kind of quality. Like, yeah. Yeah. If you do more work than you're used to doing, you're not, you're just going to burn out on it and you're just going to give up. But mm-hmm. like RPPR isn't such a huge amount of work that I'm like, Ugh, I dread it. I just like, oh, I just get it out the door and right. that's fine. So, and obviously it could be better on a technical point of view. If I took all the time to edit out the us and the ums and the things like that and all the other little verbal ticks that we have, but that kind of, uh, Work again, just you know, would take so long. I wouldn't be able to have this level of output, and the obviously the fan base is fine with the way I'm doing it because you know people are still listening to it and donating to the Patreon. So I'm like, all right, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I joke sometimes when we're you know in the midst of an interview or something mm-hmm. like that. I'll be like, oh, I'll edit that, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm just gonna go to the Ross right. We'll just leave it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes I have edited interviews, uh, especially online interviews, because of uh, technical reasons. Um, if there's a, uh, what do you call it, um, you know, the recording breaks up, you know, especially on Skype or something like that, I'll try and edit those out. Sure. But uh, that's that's an exception. That's not what I want to do. Because, yeah, <laughs> ugh, effort. Well, it's uh, like a college class. For every hour of recording, you're like an hour and a half in editing, more or less. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And so, yeah, if you're doing a podcast, you have to like, are you, it's not just recording, it's editing and writing show notes because you have to have show notes. I don't know, like podcast, we talk about this today and that's it. <laughs> like, I don't want to read, listen to a podcast where I don't know what it's going to be about. Like, don't, don't. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. When, when I was still on Nerdbound, uh, you, one of the things, so, so I guess I should tell the story um, mm. as, as a uh, OG podcaster that you are. Uh, I was on Nerdbound with uh, Neil uh, a number of years ago now, and out of the blue, I'd sent you an email and be like, "Hey, you know, we want to try to, you know, get more visibility, and you know, kind of, you know, what can we do to like make the podcast better? Because obviously, yours <laughs> is better. I mean, you, you know, you're the guy. Um, and like, you know, out of the blue, sent you an email, and you were like, "Sure, let's, you know, we'll jump on Skype." And I think, you know, you spent like maybe 45 minutes with me or something, just kind of. Mm-hmm picking things apart and going through stuff. And, and, you know, as someone who was a fan of the show and, you know, trying to help with another podcast and stuff, it was really cool experience for me to, you know, have that experience with you, you know, to, to have you be so supportive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, I've never like, <laughs> it's a podcast. I'm not, it's like, Hey, we're all doing well, <laughs> I'm, 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 the more, the more podcasts, the merrier. Um, I, I, you know, I, I have no, I have heard of other pod or, you know, uh, content creators being kind of elitist about that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm just like, eh, whatever. I don't, 
I, I, I'm just so interested in this stuff. I like helping other people do it. So, um, you know, so yeah, no, I, I just like, I, I'm very, I'm just, just like doing it. So I'm glad I could help. <laughs> I'm glad you're still podcasting. So <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're relatively new still, but, uh, we're, we're hopefully in for the long haul. We enjoy doing it. And, uh, yeah. it's cool. Cause you know, we, you know, we get to hang out and talk with you tonight and, you know, talk yeah. to, you know, Adam Scott Clancy or Oscar Rios or whatever, be like, Hey, let's, let's hang out and chat about, you know, whatever things you have going on. It's just a really cool experience to be a part of the community in that way. So it, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. No, what I've been really surprised is how many RPG designers are actually really good conversationalists. Cause I mean, like, uh, you know, Adam Scott Glancy is a, like a call, a very, would be a great, college historian professor like he would be the the one the one everyone would have to take as a it, it, everyone would have to take his class because he he would tell the best stories about you know uh how uh world War one got started or whatever how zeppelins work during the right. war i mean he's a machine <laughs> yeah no exactly so he it, you know it's great to be able to to find out these um because our rpg tabletop rpgs are still even though the, the tabletop market itself is growing quite a bit uh, in the last couple of years uh it's it's very much uh, people who are into it are into it because it's a labor of love they love what they're doing they're genuinely wanting to create these kind of games to allow people to tell interesting stories and um it, it's it's sort of a weird kind of a, a venn diagram of over of over educated under ambitious you know in, in the conventional sense of the word and uh so yeah you you grit you, it, it, uh, diamonds and rough i don't know um, I'm, I'm, I've always been interested and fascinated by this stuff. So, yeah, sure. Um, let's see here. So you're uh, a published author, obviously game designer, uh, any award winning for the podcast, uh, Benjamin Twice. Franklin award, I think for, uh, for, uh, zombies of the world. Yeah. Yeah. The international, the IBPA, uh, <laughs> awards. Um, I have it on my, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> Side, yeah, I have, I have one to my awards. I'm an award-winning monster author. So, uh, yeah, best humor book in the 2012 Benjamin uh, IBPA Benjamin Franklin Awards. Um, awesome. Yeah, no, it was fun. Um, so yeah, I, I get to write. I'm trying to write more. I just sent Caleb twenty thousand words. Independent Book Publishers Association. Um, I sent Caleb. Uh, 20,000 words for a red market supplement. That's good. It was originally going to be in the red market's main book, but that's going to be um, put off into its own separate book. And I'm working on another book uh, in the near future for upwind uh, campaign for Upwind. the three beasts campaign uh, will be a separate book. And then I'm working on an, on, on an eclipse phase project that I can't say anything else about. Um, so, but yeah. Something eclipse phasey is in the pipeline. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, the uh, red market's probably better as a as a separate because Laura would just cut that right out right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I, all the tweets coming through. Oh, I edited out this many words and this many words. I don't have Caleb's problem with writing. I, I I look at Caleb overwrites. I look at the deadline and I try and meet it just exactly. Again, it's the UG effort philosophy. Like, <laughs> just look at where you're like, all right, done. I'm out. I just walk away. Like I, I, I try and write so that I can meet the deadline, the deadline exactly at that. Like Caleb tends to, uh, I guess that's kind of our GMing style too. With Caleb will have flow charts and pages of documentation. I'm like two pages handwritten of notes. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. It's good enough. Yeah. 
so yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's differing styles. Yeah, um, Base Raiders was your was your first Kickstarter, right? Uh, no, it actually was not. Uh, oh, okay. I I've done actually crowdfunding since crowdfunding really even came around. I was actually um, uh, I used fundable.org, which was the f- sort of a, a, a proto version of Kickstarter. Uh, for ransom model projects, uh, the ransom model, uh, which was developed by Greg Stolze, um, is the idea is like I'm holding this creative project for ransom. If I get a, if I raise enough money, then I'll release it, and everyone can enjoy it for free. And so I did several. I did a fundable, um, and then I raised. Um, then I did a couple kickstarters before base raiders for new world uh fantasy campaign source books uh there was the goblin hulk um the 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 battle uh the ruins of lemuria and these were like kind of with 4e stats but open-ended so that anyone could run any kind of fantasy campaign was sort of like taking that as as so i did several source books uh that are free pdfs you can download Uh, i also did kill explosion which was a pvp oriented um role-playing game um based on 1980s action films and that was also a kickstarter uh those didn't those were all like for hundreds or just a few thousand dollars those were those were very small kickstarters but i mean kickstarter itself didn't really start until 2009 so i was really one of the first people to get on i I had to get an invitation to get to you know uh to get to join kickstarter back back then um instead of just registering your own account um but base raiders, yeah, that was the that was the first big Kickstarter I did. Uh, that was the, that that's been the only big big Kickstarter. Well, not super big, but like that's been my biggest Kickstarter to date. And uh, that was yeah for the first analyst. So that was the first major one. The other ones were just kind of like warm ups. So sure, how was how was that experience using Kickstarter? Is that is that something you look forward to using again in the future? I know you did um, the second base raider supplement was also a yep. Kickstarter as well, right? Uh, well, the, yeah, the, the well, the first real one, which was uh, um, Boiling Point, which was a uh, adventure uh, for base raiders. Um, base, yeah, no, I'll definitely use Kickstarter again in the future. I have ideas for card games that I there's several ideas for card games that I want to develop, and whenever I perfect one, I think one is good enough to try out. I'll I'll, I'll put up on Kickstarter because I do want to do a card game next. Um, uh, I, I my my experience with base raiders was very positive, obviously. Um, I could have done more to promote it, but I think it did pretty well for the time. I mean, the thing is the tabletop market has kind of exploded and Kickstarter itself is sort of an evolving field. Uh, mm. the, things keep changing and improving over time. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, how Kickstarter, the sort of minutia of how to market a Kickstarter, how to structure your Kickstarter keeps changing. Um, there are Kickstarters now that don't even use videos, uh, especially in tabletop projects, and they, they do well. Um, and then there are other ones that have really terrible videos and there's ones that do this and there's, and they still do well, you know? Um, so it's kind of fascinating to study that. So um, if you're wanting to do a Kickstarter, it's just do a lot of work researching other Kickstarters and see what they're doing and uh, kind of figure out what your unique hook for your game is, you know, like what is, what is your structure? You know, why uh, are you doing what makes your game stand alone and like what really sells games on Kickstarter is a unique hook. Um, don't. And the thing is you're making a specific game. You're don't, don't like, I would say the best point is don't be a D and D heartbreaker. Don't be a heartbreaker, which is 
Um, that's kind of a specific term for like the person who's like, oh, I'm going to do D&D, but it's going to have cat ladies in it. Or it's going to have uh, better rules for combat. Or it's going to have a mana point system <laughs> instead of this. You know, like they do D&D, but like, or they're like, I'm going to do a universal role-playing game that anyone can use and master, and but it's going to be incredibly tactically complex. It's going to be the best game. No one will need any game other than my game. You know, like that doesn't do as well as like, it's a it's a game you're inside the belly of a giant continent-sized monster and you have to survive inside this creature. It's called In the Belly of the Beast, for example, which is yeah. a real Kickstarter that I backed. And like <laughs> I was like, that was a better hook than like my game is gonna be the best game. And I've worked on this game for 20 years. I'm like, that's a that's not that's not that's a warning sign, is what that is. If you've worked for your game 20 years, that's like you should have made more game like professional game designers make <laughs> like Kenneth Height has designed would have designed 50 games as you know um mm-hmm. in that amount of time like and each one would have been better than the last like game designers do not just work on one thing and then like that's it I'm done I'm perfect you know like you have to learn from your mistakes you have to design multiple games so um there's kind of rambling but yeah Kickstarter is uh, a rich tapestry uh, in the land of many uh, contrasts uh, in, in summary. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I hope that helped. Yep. Absolutely. Um, what was the first RPG system you've ever played? Was it D&D or something else? Nope. It was Palladium. It was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. Yep. Uh, I played a, I made a mutant ninja raccoon uh, who had a motorcycle. <laughs> and I was like 10 or 12 years old and I died in the first adventure because I opened, because the, the pre-generated adventure in the fucking game Oh, if you open this door, this train car door, there's this bundle of C4 and it'll explode and it'll kill your character. And I'm like, all right, I will open this door, uh, this, this train car door. All right, you, you die. What? <laughs> yeah, that's so right here. I'm like, and for some reason, I decided to keep playing. I don't know why. But he was like, I'll fucking show them. I'm not going to lose. I- I'm going to keep. I can do better this time. So, yeah. Uh, I was like, so that's. That it was like the last episode, uh, the one of the one shots for Delta Green contingency with the C four everywhere the players turned. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, those those are always uh, yeah uh, traps are always fun to spring on players. <laughs> do you do you have a favorite system? Would it be Call of Cthulhu? I mean, you guys were on tons and tons of Call. Um. Well, base raiders clearly. Uh, oh so... man, base raider. Okay. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it depends on the genre. I don't have a, a favorite universal system. It depends on what genre. Um, for fantasy right now, like actually 13th Age, I think is the best D20 fantasy system I've ever seen. I don't think if I, I don't think I would ever play Pathfinder 5th uh, Ed uh, now that I've played 13th Age. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I haven't kept up in Pathfinder in a while, so I, I can't rule them out, but 13 days really impresses me for horror i'd actually play delta green um i actually i haven't really given seventh ed call cthulhu a fair shake i haven't played enough of that so i need to give call cthulhu seventh ed the new edition uh, a fair try i mean i've run a ton of sixth ed call of cthulhu uh sixth edition the old version um but delta green i think is better than sixth ed uh, now, whether or not it's better than 7th Ed, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't played enough of 7th Ed to really give it a fair shake. 
Um, in superheroes, I, I do like base race. I also really do like wild talents. Um, that's always been fun. Um, yeah. Uh, what is this? Uh, sci-fi. I, I, I am partial to eclipse phase weirdly mm-hmm. enough. Um, and I really like how eclipse phase handles combat, uh, and like cybernetics and other stuff. So, yeah. You guys have never played a uh, Rogue Trader or any of the uh, the Warhammer stuff. Just no interest in it, or I am the only person who knows anything about 40k in our group. Like Tom, okay. uh, well, Sean does now. Uh, and the problem is, I actually have several 40k RPGs because they're beautiful books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've wanted to run only War for some time because you don't you you could play that game without knowing anything about the setting. And that's right. thematically appropriate because you're just some poor schmuck who's given a laze gun and sent off to die for emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is one, the system is very complex and that's, I just opened the book. I'm like, Oh God, I don't want to learn this. <laughs> um, and so that, that's actually been the biggest hurdle is that I, I it is a system I do want to run at some point, but I've just never had the mental energy to like sit down and read the book and learn the system well enough to run it. And uh, no one else in the group has expressed an iota of interest in these games. Um, I still want to do it because I have that idea of like playing like poor schmucks in, you know, 40K trying to survive as Imperial Guard or playing Rogue Trader because that's evil capitalist Star Trek um, mm-hmm. or playing Chaos as where like the theme would be like you're Chaos cultist, but you're you worship Chaos because you're sane. The 40k, you know, the Empire is fucking, the Imperium is ridiculous. <laughs> and you have a better chance to start, but yeah, like, you're the only sane people in the entire universe would be the joke. So they would all be kind of spit takes of the 40k setting, because it's fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I enjoy it, but like, it's it's a parody, people. You shouldn't want to be, <laughs> it's not something to emulate, not something to idolize. Like, it's meant as a joke. Uh, yeah. It's like Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd is not a good guy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's not like you don't want there to be a real Judge Dredd because that would be terrible. That would but, be a bad thing. <laughs> it's well, like I mean, to be Judge's credit, he's uncorruptible. Like he follows, he does, oh, he does enforce the law fairly, and you know he is. You can't bribe him, uh, so he's got that going for him. But yeah, anyway, right. Now, the, the rogue trader is like cannibal hitlers in space that was that was the joke when we were on nerdbound that that was yeah. the uh... <laughs> and uh, again maybe if i could if i could play it or if someone else could run it i'd be i'd love to play it uh but nobody has any interest in the 40k setting aside from me and like sean so and sean is going to be running other games he has a couple other games he wants to run um for our group before he, we even get to that so yeah i don't know there's I, a I, lot I, of games out there that i want to run and play but you know sure uh, i i think i think we should get you in on the game then because we we currently have a rogue trader campaign going just get you in for a session or two just yeah give you sure. a feel for it yeah give me someone who's crazy and unstable and i'll be happy to <laughs> off myself for chaos or the empire or whatever you know terrible government i'm working for um or you know force uh yeah no that would be great uh that might help uh learn the system a little better uh it does look interesting yeah i feel one shot coming on now (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure we can do that Uh, i'll uh, i'll talk to neil about getting an only war uh 
game going. I, the rules should be the same as as you know all the other settings. So yeah, yeah, I know it's kind of it's percentile based, and there's but there's like critical hits and all this stuff and. Yeah. Psychic powers and yeah, chaos warp and this and that and blah blah blah. Yeah, it <laughs> cool. it, it it just looks kind of complex. Um, but yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> um, have you ever considered uh, any projects outside of you know gaming <laughs> podcasting sphere? Um, uh, well, I am working on like a card game um, that I wanted <laughs> want to do. Um, or do you mean like outside of gaming, tabletop gaming in general? Yeah, outside of general. Like, so when when Vince and I started, we were like, "Oh, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna write books and this mm-hmm. movie thing, and we've got ideas for all this stuff." And I was like, "All right, all right let's back up. This is enough work to keep us busy for yeah. <laughs> like forever." So yep. that all kind of went by the wayside. Yeah. No, yeah. I well, I have previous background in movies, so I knew that that was a terrible idea. Um, yeah, I've actually I, I've worked on a few low budget movies, um, and I made a terrible low budget movie called Motor Home from Hell uh, before RPPR. And uh, so, yeah, I always knew that. Um, I've thought about video games, and I kind of briefly toyed with it by working on a video game uh, that was being developed here in Springfield, but they ran out of money. Uh, they were also funded by Kickstarter. Um, and from what I've heard, there's way more grind and longer hours than tabletop. Um, mm. it, it, it's, I, I'm not opposed to, I do want to write fiction. Like I, I, I really, I'm, I just get, I have so much pain work that I have to write <laughs> like, Oh, I have to get paid to write all this stuff first. And then I can pursue my art. So I do, there are ideas for novels and fiction that I, there, there's fiction that I want to write. Um, and I, I'm not sure there are several ideas and none of them are terribly fleshed out. So I don't want to uh, explain what I have, but sure. there's a lot of writing I would like to do that is not necessarily games. Um, but right now, just the, the pain freelance work that I have and the podcast are enough. Uh, so maybe if my schedule clears up a little bit, uh, I'll pursue that, but that really, uh, you know, movies, no TV, no. Um, and video games. Yeah. If I if I if I if I got into video games, it would be like as a producer, someone with the money and writing the checks and telling other people to work long hours. <laughs> uh, that that would be my um, interest in it. So um, <clears throat> so yeah, top down. That's a good way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Kurt from the NFG cast uh, jokingly wanted to know what what's the fastest you've ever done the uh, the intro for the RPPR show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have not done the auctioneer things. So I'm not sure. Probably there are, there have been a couple episodes where I've done it pretty quick uh, because Tom frequently would uh, the joke is that Tom would like slander me for my table <laughs> for my announcer voice uh as soon as i give it so uh probably i i would say five seconds is the quickest i've done um yeah I, I'll, I'll just say five seconds uh is the quickest uh but that's a total ed- uneducated there are actually some rppr fans out there who have encyclopedic knowledge of the episodes and podcasting <laughs> probably you know it's like oh no actually it's 4.38 seconds in episode 93 you know or something like that so mm-hmm. um yeah all right i've got one more official question here for you and then we'll roll mm-hmm. into our final five which is a uh, five geeky nerdy binary mm-hmm. type questions either uh, you know this or that sort of thing um but what what's the non-geekiest thing about you uh 
non-geekiest thing about. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, I've been suspended from... I was suspended from junior high and for... Well, not suspended. I was... Uh, well, yeah, three-day suspension uh, for fighting in junior high and high school. Nice. There you go. So, Yeah. That that would be the I guess that would be the the the, the accepted thing. I don't, uh, I mean, it was, I'm an international traveler, but I don't know that that's still kind of geek. I don't know. Like, depends on how you define what if how, the least geeky thing you have to define what is the geekiest thing. Like, it's it's a very interesting dichotomy you have to you have to establish. So I guess going back on that, yeah, it's fighting in high school. So I, I would say podcasting may be probably one of the geekier things. <laughs> It is, but what is so? What is the opposite of podcasting? You know, like, like, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, see that there, there lies the question. It's not the geeky; it's the least geekiest thing. So, like, right? Yeah, it's 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 a conundrum. How it's it's a philosoph. It's a very deep existential question. Like, what is, <laughs> what is the anti geek? Um, so it depends on what you're podcasting too, because there can be non geek pot type podcasts. I mean, that's, the that's true. Yeah. The act of podcasting, I guess, intrinsically can be geeky, but you could be talking about, you know, philosophy or, or whatever. No, philosophy is super geeky. I was going to uh, say, yeah. Yeah, no. Well, it yeah. could be something like um, growing vegetables or. No, that's, that, that, that's pretty geeky. I, I would something geeky. like killing uh, animals or no, hunting with muzzle loading rifles. But even You're that's right. kind of geeky because there's a technical thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe. But that's it. Yeah, podcasting is inherently geeky because you're getting technical and talking about something, some sort of jargony thing. So, like the least, like it would have to be to be anti-geek. It would have to be um, maybe talk radio about uh, uh, well, not even car shop. Car talk was pretty geeky. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's yeah. So I don't know. See that? There you go. There's the there's the conundrum. To be or not to be. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery shrouded in an enigma. Like <laughs> uh, I never thought about it that way, but I, I guess we've unlocked something here. <laughs> uh, but I stand by my answer. I think that, I mean, off the top of my head, that's the least geeky thing. Okay. All right. That's fair. All right. So we'll, we'll roll into our final five here. Uh, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. All right. Without hesitation. Yeah. Not even close. Uh, what did you think about the the prequels, and what do you think about um, Rogue One, and then Episode Seven? Uh, prequels were terrible. Uh, Rogue One and Force Awakens were great. Yeah, see, I didn't. I, you know, I went to go see Rogue One. I had high expectations, and it just kind of left me flat. And, and I don't yes. know. If, right. I, I don't know what it is about it. I I, I probably should go see it again. Um, okay. But we left the theater, and I was like, eh, really? Okay. I, I'd like to think, you know, um, uh, no, I liked it. I thought it was a good, it, it's a good war movie. And I, I saw it twice in theaters and I enjoyed it both times. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I guess this one's probably stupid, but uh, tabletop or video games? Uh, tabletop. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I yeah. literally make my living from it. Yeah. So. <laughs> probably should have substituted something. Uh, yeah. DC or Marvel? Uh, Marvel. Okay. Batman or Marvel? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who's writing Batman. All right, yeah, like there's some terrible Batman. Uh, you know, that's the thing about these guys. People don't realize Batman isn't a character. He's a genre. He's a subgenre. Like if you're writing a Batman story, it's a particular type of superhero story. So um, it depends on who's writing Batman. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of terrible Marvel too. Right. Best Batman average. ever. Yeah. The what? 
best Batman ever? Um. Oh man. Um. There's only one answer. Yeah. Uh oh. The animated, Alan? the animated series. Oh yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. No, that clearly is. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the Batman animated series. Yeah. Although the the killing joke was not fantastic. Um. The comic was really good, but yeah, the I've heard, I haven't seen the animated movie version of it, but I heard that was terrible. Yeah, it was uh, not good. Yeah. For, For my sure. two cents. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, sci-fi or fantasy? Um, that's a good question. Uh, for me, it's probably. I mean, to be fair, honestly, horror. I wait. I've read a lot more horror than either of those. Uh, probably in terms of books, number of books I've read, probably fantasy. But, um, I don't know. Um, probably probably yeah yeah both uh i mean for me it's horror above all of those so sure mm-hmm. okay and if you could have one superpower what would it be uh is it lame to ask for omnipotence just like <laughs> no i don't think yeah. so <laughs> all right I'll, I'll be omnipotent uh I'll, I'll i'll do that uh wait the power that lets me have other superpowers uh, I don't think that was legal. <laughs> but omnipotence isn't literally the power. The, uh, yeah. So if I had to choose like a normal superpower, um, probably, I mean, to be honest, I just, I, you know, uh, death's not really appealing to me. So probably Wolverine style immortality slash regeneration. Um, that, yeah, something like that. If I can't be a Doc Manhattan, Uber, you know, cosmic <laughs> entity um then yeah i'll choose that cool all right well i want to thank you for coming on it's a pleasure to have you on and get a chance to uh to chat with you for a little while uh where can people find you at specifically of course we've got a lot of links in the show notes but uh, if you want to throw it out here uh let's see here oh well first thing check out our patreon patreon.com slash rppr uh we have bonus podcasts uh, after hours where we look at uh weird rpgs and talk about other uh topical things and uh right now we're doing palladium poisoning which is a series on palladium role-playing games right now we're specifically covering riffs which is a hot mess of uh, escape his power fantasies, uh, ridiculous art, and terrible game mechanics. Uh, we also run games for Patreon backers. I post all podcasts early, have early access podcasts, and uh, uh, it an artwork of our games. So uh, please, you can back us for you know two dollars a month and get access to dozens of hours of bonus content. Uh, and you can also check out afterhours.roleplayingpublicradio.com uh, to see all of this content. Uh, we, I, I link it up all there so you can find it easily. Cause Patreon has terrible indexing and archiving, uh, capabilities. Um, but I mean, they're, to be fair, they're, they're doing better than they have. It. They're working, they're doing their best. Um, sign.com slash RPPR is our website. Actual play dot playing public radio.com is, uh, our AP site. Uh, I am on Twitter at Ross Payton, and uh oh i also started another podcast with caleb and his friend spencer called the mix six uh which is at the mix six uh dot com which is where they review beers and talk about stuff and i'm producing yeah so yeah uh just uh uh, but especially the patreon just just go to the patreon (laughs) skip all the other stuff (laughs) back my patreon back my patreon buy my book buy my book (laughs) uh yeah just to be a terrible plug monster so yeah no, that's fine. Hey, that's part of the reason why you're here, right? I mean, yep. come in and talk about all the stuff. So that's that's yep. awesome. 
and, and expected. So, uh, and incurred. <laughs> yeah. I do like how I built my brand to be like, I'm a horrible monster by my book. I'm just going to be blatant. <laughs> I'm not going to like have any, any excuse of as objectivity. It's just like, yeah, no, give me money. I'm, I'm here. Uh, and yeah, I like that. That's been my, uh, my brand and people have embraced that. So, um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, e- you get everything out on the table. There's nothing hidden. It's uh, nobody behind the curtain. That's that's the way you should do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Transparency. <laughs> um, so yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad uh, I could be here. Uh, thanks for listening to Legends of Tabletop. Absolutely awesome. And and I will take advantage of of this similar opportunity to plug all of our stuff here as well. You can find this awesome content and all of our other cool stuff at legendsoftabletop.com. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach out to us at legendsoftabletop at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Legends Tabletop. Uh, there's a Tumblr and a Facebook page and Instagram. You can follow us there. I post up my geeky game photos and then, you know, session pics and all that kind of stuff. So you can reach out to us there. Uh, just put us in Google and you'll find us all over the place. And um, I guess that's it. Uh, you leave us, a, you know, rate us, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be fantastic. That helps. Or on Stitcher or whatever pod service you happen to use if you can leave a review or talk about us on other uh, forums and such that's greatly appreciated we uh we highly encourage it uh you can also leave reviews for rppr uh you know there's the the more the merrier get everybody out there so uh we want to thank ross again for coming on and thank everybody for checking everything out and uh, we'll catch you next time This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.